0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you very much, Marcy, and good morning. Thanks for being with us, whether you're online or here in person. We are just grateful to be uh, with you this week. Don't you just love new things? Like whether it's a new paint in your house or a new shirt you have or a new car. And new cars are great until you realize that you're not that special because every time you get a new car, you realize there's a bunch of other ones that look exactly the same driving around on the road, you know. You've never seen it before and then suddenly you start seeing them everywhere. But we love new things and there's one place in the world where new things are unique and different in a way that it happens no other place on the planet and that's in the labor and delivery room of the hospital. If you think about it, one of the most exciting new places to be is because that child has never been here before, and there'll never be one like it again, and I remember with all three of my kids, they were vastly different. The girls were really tiny. Um, Liam, frankly, looked like an alien, but they they just all, all looked different. They came across, and even though they had the same parents, it just was a completely different new experience. Um, since I'm talking about labor and delivery, I would ask that tomorrow morning, that if you would even now put out your phone and set a reminder to pray for Reagan Conover. Uh, Reagan is four days old or three days old, I think it is now, and she has to have um, open heart surgery, and uh, she will be going through a, a, a bit of a surgery on Monday and then probably some more stuff down the road, but Sam and Jordan and Gary and Robin and the rest of the family would just really appreciate your prayers, and so I ask that you do that. And just want to say thank you also for those of you that helped this week with uh, Marilyn Wade's homegoing. She's home with Jesus. She lived a great life, but yet they're still grieving. And so if you could be praying for those two things this week, that would be super helpful. You know, we see the same thing in the book of Acts around the Holy Spirit, something new and exciting, something that we hadn't seen the Holy Spirit work in this way before. And just as in the labor and delivery room, there's a, a new aspect behind what um, is happening in the world. The same thing happens with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit was active at creation, and the Holy Spirit is moving throughout the Old Testament. We see the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And then suddenly, in Acts chapter 2, we see a glimpse of the Holy Spirit in a way that we've never seen him move before. And so if you have your Bibles, flip over to the book of Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. Before we get started in the book of Acts, there's a couple caveats that we have to talk about when reading the, the book of Acts. The book of Acts introduces more new people in the Bible than any other book in the New Testament. But it's not necessarily about people. The book of Acts is about the gospel going forth. The other thing about reading the book of Acts is it's not so much prescriptive as it is descriptive. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of descriptions around how God works and the ways in which he works. It doesn't mean there's no prescriptive things, meaning uh, one of the great prescriptive things about the book of Acts is that as an early church, we can look at them and see that they relied on the Holy Spirit and they prayed a lot. Those are prescriptive things that we can take. But there's other things in the back of book of Acts that just aren't prescriptive. Uh, one of those being a guy falls out the window and somebody thinks they can just go tell him to get up. Um, that usually doesn't work. i not saying it can't work, but it usually doesn't. So there's some descriptive things and there's some prescriptive things. The other thing that we have to be careful with when we read the book of Acts is that we look at it through only the lens of this is the good old days of the church. And the book of Acts and the early church had problems just like this one does, and maybe even worse. And if we look at it as that's the example and we only recognize it through that lens, we might miss on what Luke's real intent was in the book of Acts. And the real intent of Luke, if you remember from chapter one, was the arrival and the work of the Holy Spirit, the establishment of the church and the spread of the gospel. So anytime we look at it through a lens of, well, that's just the good old days of the church, we're missing out on what Luke was trying to share. And so we've got to look at this as as it really is. It's a historical narrative. And so when we view the book of Acts that way, we start to get a better understanding of what Luke really wanted us to see. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Pastor John talked a couple weeks ago. It says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about, For John baptized with water, and here's the the thing to hone in on, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2 of Acts is the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus gave them, that in a couple days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We see that John had promised I'm going to baptize you with water, but one who's going to come after me would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2 is indeed a fulfillment of that promise. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to read in Acts chapter 2. We're not going to go through every part of it, but I think it's helpful just to read it so you get an idea of what's happening in this account. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated And came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and they said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the lord and everyone who calls upon the name of the lord will be saved so acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of what jesus said wait a few days and you will be baptized with the holy spirit but it says in acts chapter 2 that they were all together as they were celebrating and when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We know from earlier in chapter 1, this is about 120 people. Some people feel like they may have been in the same area of the Last Supper. And as Jews celebrated the, the, the festival of Passover, they often, especially those who were close, if you were within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were expected to attend Passover and to come into town and stay. And whether they were with friends or an Airbnb, it doesn't really matter, but they were all together to celebrate this. Well, 50 days from Passover or from the resurrection, in essence, is what's called Pentecost. Or sometimes you'll see it referred to as the Festival of Weeks listed in Leviticus chapter 23. And that's uh, one of the three agricultural festivals that the Jews would, would celebrate. And often what would happen is people would stay in Jerusalem from Passover to Pentecost because by the time they waited 50 more days, traveling was much easier. So it wasn't uncommon for them to winter in Jerusalem, if you will, or to stay in Jerusalem and to continue to celebrate because they went from one feast to the next feast. And so all these people are still together, about 120 of them. They're all in one place, verse 1 says, when suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. There's three key words in these first few verses that you need to pay attention to. The first one is suddenly. They weren't. Praying for the Holy Spirit, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, God sent the Holy Spirit to come into their midst. This was something where we see God as the Holy Spirit in His own timing, His own sovereign plan, His own sovereign will of when He was going to intervene in a way in which so many people would, would come to benefit from. So suddenly, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The second word you need to pay attention to in verse 2 is that it was like the blowing of a violent wind. Was it a wind? I don't know. You look throughout, throughout the scriptures and you do see Holy Spirit mentioned as wind or as water. But it says it was like that. And as Luke tries to recount what's happening here, you can imagine this because he uses this imagery of saying it's like a blowing wind. It's like tons of fire. And we, we, we can recognize that as well. How many of you have ever seen the Grand Canyon in person? Anybody seen the Grand Canyon in person? You could describe the Grand Canyon in person as a big hole in the ground. And that would be accurate. But you could also tell somebody from rim to rim, on side to side, it would take 10 cruise ships lined up end to end to get from one side to jump to the other side. Suddenly, it gives you a better picture of what you're looking at. And so Luke, as he's trying to help us understand what the Holy Spirit's like, he says it's like a blowing wind. It's like there were tongues of fire. He wants you to get a picture of how immersive and expansive and vast the power of the Holy Spirit was. We know it didn't just affect these 120 people but it gathers a whole crowd because it's so noticeable. What sets this apart from from so many things in the book of Acts is that this was, it was personal. It fell on each person, but it was also public. And it was something where this baptism of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus described, comes along. And then the last word that we need to think about is it says they were sitting. They were just waiting around. There's other times in the book of Acts where you see the Holy Spirit show up, but they were praying that he would show up or praying that he would intervene but not this time. This was God's decision. This was God's timing. This was God's way for the Holy Spirit to come, what Jesus had been telling his disciples for so long. It was an atypical, non-repeatable event, just like that child being born in the hospital is something new that's probably never going to happen in that way again. The Holy Spirit shows up in this way, in a unique, atypical way, which is why we should pay attention to what he's doing here. Now, as you think through the Holy Spirit, um, sometimes, if we're honest, we, we don't have a great understanding of the Holy Spirit. He's probably uh, what some have said is the neglected part of God, and that could be for a variety of reasons. As you look to try and have a better understanding of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to recommend two books. Um, one of them is called Forgotten God by Francis Chan, which is kind of like a great, easy read to give you a, a, a pretty good idea of who the Holy Spirit is. And then if you're really excited about studying this, I would recommend Gaffin's book, Perspectives on Pentecost, or if you have trouble sleeping. Um, But it is a great, really good um, way for you to learn some more about the Holy Spirit. We know about Jesus, right? We talk about Jesus all the time. But the Holy Spirit, for those of us who are believers, lives inside of us, and we have access to his power every single day. And yet, for most of us, we just kind of assume, well, it was a good Monday, it was a bad Monday. It was a good Tuesday, it was a bad Tuesday. And we have literally the power of God residing in us that's available to us. And when we understand that and we tap into that, it should transform the way that you live. Because he gives you the ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. He gives you the ability. He's praying for you now, even though you don't even realize it. And so there's so much of the Holy Spirit that we don't have time to get into today that makes this event all the more special. This particular area does bring up a couple things, though. If you look in verses 3 through 4, it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled, and this is important, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was not something they dreamt up on their own, because why would you dream this up on your own? Out of all the things that Christians believe that are, frankly, a little strange, this is right up there at the top of it, starting with that we believe that Jesus died and rose and came back from the dead. So you look at all the things. We wouldn't come up with this. This is something that God himself knew in his timing, that that Jesus will return, and there's a time for that, and that the Holy Spirit would come in a way that would allow us to take advantage of all that he offers. God knew the time for that. And so when you look at this initial account, there's a couple things that this brings up that I want to talk about for just a minute, and I hope I won't bore you to death. When you think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, wait here for in a few days I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what this could potentially be. If you remember, John the Baptist says, I will baptize you with water, but one will come after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. If you grew up in a charismatic tradition, um, you've probably heard of this. They would say that you need a a baptism of the Holy Spirit, or or sometimes you'll hear it referred to as second baptism. And what I really appreciate about my charismatic brothers and sisters is there's a desire they have to be involved with the Holy Spirit, to be in, in, in congruence with what He wants, but we don't need another baptism. This is the baptism. The baptism we need is by water, which is a a declaration of what God has done internally. But sometimes people are like, is there another one we got to search for or go after or or be a part of? And and I just don't think that's the case. I think what they're actually referring to is a filling of the Spirit. If you look at what he says in verse 3, he says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they were able to accomplish what they were able to accomplish. You see 1 Corinthians chapter 12 shows that we have a baptism of the Spirit particularly at this day, that unites us all together. If you look at Ephesians 1 and you look at Acts chapter 2, you see that we actually get the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. So we don't need to hope that we could get this other baptism, this other thing. We don't need to desperately search for it. But what we are called to do, and this is where we need to pay attention, is that um, Ephesians 5 says that we should be filled with the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. That's what we should long for. We should long for the Spirit to fill our lives so that we can serve Him and love Him. And that's that's great. That's what we should strive for. Not some necessarily super spiritual experience, but an emptying of ourselves so the Spirit can work in our lives. I thought it might be helpful today. I like pictures and, and images, and I thought this might help you understand this a little better. And so I brought some water. Don't worry, Chad, you won't get wet. At the moment of conversion... This is you. And uh, Jesus forgives you of your sins. He washes you clean. The this, this slate is clean. But unfortunately, as you know, we live in a sinful, fallen world, and that sin starts to take over our life. Apparently, we've got a lot of sin going on here. This worked better the other day. What happens is that starts to permeate our life to where, you know, the Holy Spirit can't work. Right? God can't be around proud people. He can't, His presence can't work with people who are full of sin and all that that comes along with. And so Ephesians 5 says that you should be filled with the Spirit. And the problem is, is that sometimes, especially after we start sinning, we don't even realize anymore what we're doing. We can't even see what we're, we're wanting to accomplish. Now, here's the really cool thing. Even though we do this and mess things up, the Holy Spirit, you can grieve Him. You can quench Him. By your sin, right? The Holy Spirit can't work in a way like that. But even though we do all this mess, you know, one of the great things about the Holy Spirit is that He's still praying for you. When nobody's praying for you, He's praying for you. When your mom stopped praying for you, He's praying for you. And so, what happens is, is when we choose to confess our sin and repent. What happens? The Holy Spirit's able to come and start to, to once again fill us because it, it, what happens is, is that we make room for him to work in our lives. And what happens over time is that this, eventually, we get rid of sin, we get rid of sin, the Holy Spirit starts to fill us, and we're able to where he can, he can do things in us that we could never do. Now, the cool thing is... There's no limit to the Holy Spirit and His willingness to fill us. Uh, there's a lot of limit to us, but there's no, I got all kinds of water here. We could be here all day. And He's able to fill. And the cool thing is, is that then the overflow of what He does pours out into everybody else's life. Now, I didn't clear this out completely because there's still sin in your life. You will never be free from sin apart from glorification. But as we participate in the process of sanctification and we become more like Him, we clear the way out so that He can fill us in a way that overflows For ultimately for His glory. And so I hope that's helpful as you think about the the Holy Spirit. If you got to do your part, get rid of the sin in your life and allow Him to fill you so that then you can overflow and serve and love people in a way that you've never done before. Now, don't make this harder than it has to be. That could be simply this week that he wants to prompt you to love somebody better. It could be that you're going to help somebody. It could be that you're going to pray for somebody. We look for these great, big, glorious things, and you might be missing out on what he wants you to do. There may be an overflow out of your life this week that God wants to use in somebody else's life. The ability of the Spirit to work in us is limited by us, not by him. The second thing that this brings up is... is, uh, In verse 5, where he says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, Aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? This Holy Spirit event was personal they all had the tongues that landed on them and they were able to speak and hear languages that they'd never heard before but it was also public in that it drew a crowd and in bewilderment they're saying aren't these all Galileans now why does this matter why should we take any time considering this a, a couple things to think through when they talk about tongues in this instance this is not the same tongues listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 which is also a gift that's listed this is the ability to, to speak in a language so that those other people could hear it. And it was particularly, it was done by Galileans. Now, why was this so amazing to them? I've got no better word for this than if this offends somebody. Um, that's Pastor John's email. is jon at westbridgedanville.com. <laughs> they were hicks. They were uneducated people who suddenly are, are declaring the wonders of God in a language that's nowhere near them. Proof, yet again, you, you know why Pentecost was so cool? Yes, it's because the Holy Spirit came down, but God took people who were, yes, filled with sin, and he did amazing things through them, and that's what he wants to do with you. In this particular instance, it was this idea that they were speaking other languages, and it, it's different than the 1 Corinthians 14, verse uh Speaking of tongues is like a prayer language. And if you remember about that, you always got to have an interpreter. And Paul said, if you have people who are outsiders, don't do it then because they'll think you're weird. That is not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the ability for these people to come and declare the wonders of God in their own language. It was God-fearing Jews from every nation, and the Galileans were able to speak. And it was amazing because it was Galileans, and it was amazing because they were declaring the wonders of God. Here's what happens sometimes with the Holy Spirit. If we become preoccupied with what the Spirit has done in the past, we might miss what He wants to do today. If you look at this, and some people are really big in this, they're like, we need the Holy Spirit to come and rain down fire again. I don't know, I mean, maybe, but that shouldn't be what we're searching for. What we're searching for is allowing the Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. That's what we should be searching for. And if we fail to do that, we might miss out on something super simple that He wants you to do. And so what does that look like for your life? I think first off is to keep a, a short list on the sin in your life so that he can fill you and use you in a way that's tangible and real. And it might be as a simple prompting to send a text to somebody. It might be as a simple prompting to pray for somebody. It might be as a simple prompting to go and help somebody. But if we become preoccupied with what the Spirit's done in the past, or if you remember like in summer camp in 1992, God did this amazing thing and you're searching for that still, um, I'm not saying he won't do that again, but don't worry about that. Worry about what he wants you to do today. That's what the Galileans did. They were waiting. I'm like, God, what do you want us to do today? And then he comes and moves in an incredible way. You have the power of God available to you today. Uh, verse 9 says that Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. I don't really want to go through that list again. Let me just show you a map. <laughs> uh, it's pretty much the known world. Right? That's pretty much everybody around them. And you look at in Jerusalem there, the bottom, about middle, and these are all the areas in which Jews were were spread out through the diaspora. And you see where the Jews are spread all over, and, and literally every person who was in that room was representing this area. This is incredible because if you know anything about how church history works, as persecution increases, these people get spread back out mostly to their native lands. Matter of fact, when the Jerusalem church, and we'll get into this later in the book of Acts, when they get persecution that is intense, many of them leave and go. And you have to wonder, for some of those people, they were in that room that day and they're telling the people, you're never going to guess what happened. These hicks showed up, the Gallians and they start telling us, and we heard it in the language of the Elamites, which is, I don't know, somewhere over Iraq, Iran, you hear it in all these different languages. If you went from the east of, of Jerusalem, the trade language was Aramaic. If you went from the west of Jerusalem, the trade language was Greek, but then they all had their own individual languages as well, and the Holy Spirit enabled all of them to do all this, which is just an amazing accomplishment. Here's the thing, God still does amazing and mighty works. Do you believe that? Like, for them, it was tongues, and it was this, what they needed for that day. For you and me, it's, it's probably going to be something different. If you don't believe me, three weeks ago, I got a call from Laura Searcy that said, the doctor just told me my husband will not come out of this hospital. This week, her husband left the hospital in a wheelchair, but left him, and he's here today. And I, Yeah, yeah, certainly. That's. <laughs> the fact that we have the medical knowledge available... That God in his goodness is going to allow some surgical team tomorrow to reconnect arteries in little Reagan's four-day-old body is God's goodness to us. And so he's doing amazing and mighty things. And and I'm sure if we went around the room, we could be here all day of tangible ways in which God is working. And so when you look at this day and you mark down Pentecost and what they were celebrating, it was not just a moment for them. It was a moment for you and for me as well because we are continuing to reap the benefits of the Holy Spirit being in our lives. And when we submit to him, you'll see him do amazing things. You may not be able to speak another language You're going to have to keep working on Duolingo or whatever it is you use. But he may do something else tomorrow. And he may do something in your life that only he can do. It shows us that the gospel is for everyone because the map goes out to everywhere. And if you read through the book of Acts, the gospel, that's what the book of Acts is about, is that the gospel goes out to everybody. It wasn't limited to them. We'll see later where it comes to the Sumerians, where it comes to the Gentiles. It's not limited to anybody. It's open for everybody. Yet again, a, a marvelous work of God that anyone can be set free from their sin Peter shows up in, or sorry, let me talk a couple other things there in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they said, what does this mean? And some of them made fun of them and said, well, they've just had too much wine. It, it's a good reminder that um, even where the Holy Spirit shows up in such a powerful way, people are still like, not sure about that. Unfortunately, there will still be people today that you can declare all you want about what God's done in your life and they're going to choose not to acknowledge it. But Peter stands up to try and convince them in what was probably one of the best sermons ever. But in order to set up the sermon that Pastor John's going to cover next week, he uses an interesting account in verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter, once again, you want to see, like, the Holy Spirit's doing so much more than than a sound of a wind and and tongues and fire and all that kind of stuff. Peter, who was timid, now he's bold. He had denied Christ. Jesus reinstates him. And now he decides he's going to stand up in front of 120 plus however many other people in this crowd. And shortly here, there's going to be a larger crowd, nearly 3,000 people come or more. And he addresses the crowd. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does these huge, massive things, and sometimes he does something inside of us that only us are going to, only we would know what he actually is doing, and both are powerful, and both are worthy of praising God, and both are worthy of acknowledging his role in our life. Some 500 years before Peter, Joel, a prophet, sees into the future and and declares what God is going to do. Now, if you remember, in the prophets of the Old Testament, they're seeing things in the future, but they don't really have a great timeline of what they're gonna when they're gonna happen. They just see that these events are gonna occur. And so, 500 years before this particular event, Joel looks out and he says, "This is what's gonna happen." Peter uses this to set the stage for everything that Pastor John is gonna set next week. He could have said anything. He could have said like, "Well, we had Jesus. Now we have the Holy Spirit." But he gives uh, a clue in three sections of these next couple verses that I think are super helpful as you look at this. It says in verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. It's interesting. He says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. If you keep in mind, God's economy of days is a little bit different than ours because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And Joel says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. So apparently, this pouring out of the Spirit, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, is the indication of the last days. Now, preachers have been saying for years, ever since the resurrection, that it's the last days. So what does he mean here? He says, look, I'm going to pour out my Spirit in those last days. My, uh, I will pour it out on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Well, if it's really true that with God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years, then we're like... Somewhere in the beginning parts of day three, right? Good thing is, last time God intervened, day three was pretty cool, Um, but we don't know when. We know the season, right? We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We don't know the minute, but but God does. And so he says, look, one of the markers of the last days will be that my Holy Spirit will come upon you, and not only that will happen, but you'll start to prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Now, if you're young today, and you're like, sweet, I get a dream, and you're old, and you're like, I get a dream as well. Let me talk about that for just a minute. First off, we have to remember that prophecy that he's speaking here is the foretelling of truth. Not in a prophetic sense of the future telling, but in in more of a a foretelling of what's about to happen, or foretelling of truth, excuse me. And so in the Old Testament, a prophet was used to kind of look into the future by God's grace through the Spirit to see different events happening. The prophecy that he's speaking here is is the ability to proclaim truth or to, to announce what is happening. What's already revealed? And it says that in the last days, God will do that, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I'm not saying that you're not having dreams about what God's doing, but we don't see this in, in sense of a revelatory sense, in that we get new information. But it's not uncommon for those of you who have followed along in the Middle East or over in China that there are certainly people who see dreams and visions of, of Christ, of, of Jesus, of a, of a God, Son of God figure, that then they go and ask people. And so we don't want to put God in a box and say this never happens anymore. But for the most part, uh, we, we get the, the benefit of the Spirit. We get the benefit of prophecy. Um, we all have dreams. Some of them are weird. Some of them are not. But what he's speaking of here specifically, I believe, is as the gospel's going forth, he's saying that these people are going to see that. And we see that in the book of Acts. What happens, right? Cornelius, when he sees this happen, he has a dream, and, and suddenly Peter's there, and Peter has a dream, and they're all together, and they start to put the pieces of what's happening. So we see this happening, both present day Acts, but then also, or previously in Acts and present day as well. Verse 18 goes on to say, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I wouldn't take a bullet for this, but if I was guessing, I would say 17 would be kind of in the, the, the book of Acts, that immediate expansion of the gospel. Verse 18 would be for us today. We can prophesy and proclaim truth and do that. And then he gives a, what seems to be a reference to the book of Revelation in verses 19 and 20 about the future coming of the Lord, where he says in verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of of the Lord. We know that matches up with what is promised in the book of Revelation. And so, as Joel sees these events stacking up, he says, Look, in the last days, you're going to see the Holy Spirit come as a marker of it's almost time for Jesus to return. He says that the people would, would have the Holy Spirit indwelling upon them, something that, even if you remember back to Moses, he was asking Joshua, If we could just get these people to do this, this would be great. Something they longed for, and we have it with us from the moment of conversion on. And then you see that he, he looks even further into the future and he says, look, it's, it's going to be, not only will they be able to prophesy, not only will they be able to have the Holy Spirit upon them, but then he sees the end. And then he wraps up this part with a transitory sentence that pl- applies both to the end of time and both today. And he says this, he says, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, verse 21, will be saved. It's a direct quote in relation to what he was predicting but also what's available and what Peter is going to use to make his case for the next however many verses, that everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's very true in a sense of a salvific or a salvation response, that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But it's also true in response to what Joel is prophesying. If you were to call upon the name of the Lord, you will, you will, you will be rescued ultimately, not necessarily from death, but from, from separation from God forever. Because we all, barring the Lord's not coming back, we, we will die. And so Peter uses this to make his case to repent, to follow Jesus, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to be baptized. And so as we conclude our time today, the question is, have you done that? Have you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? And if you haven't, I would say you, you've got to do that. It's super simple. It's a recognition that you're not God and that he is. And that there's a problem in your life called sin that separates you from God. And and Peter's going to do a far better job than I could do explaining this in the next verses. And so if you want to preview, read ahead for next week. But it's interesting. Of all the things that Peter could have said, he lays out a timeline, so to speak, through the prophet Joel of like, look, this is going to happen. It was foretold that Jesus was going to be here, and he came. And he told you the Holy Spirit was going to come after him, and and he came. And he's going to come back. And if you don't make a decision between that time of who God really is, of who Jesus Christ is, then, then you will not be saved. And so the question is today, it's, have you done that? And if you haven't, I would love to help you. I'll stick around afterwards. would love to help you explain more of what that means. But so many of you have. If you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to do that in, in water. Why would we do that? It's an identification that that's what's happened inside of us. That's what he's called us to do. But for so many of you, you've done that. So what do we do? I think a couple things uh, as we walk out of here today. One question. Do you have an awareness of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or do you just chalk it up to, it was a good day? Or, I'm pretty good. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves today, we'd recognize that we're, we're not very good. And that it's only that overflow out of us that is not from us, right? Because what comes out of our heart is is the evil things that corrupt us. But when we let God intervene and his Holy Spirit fill us to the point where we can start to do stuff, that's where really God works and does some incredible things. And so are you aware of that? Are you aware of his promptings? Are you aware of your sin? Maybe there's something in your life right now that's caused you to to not allow the Holy Spirit to, to move and work. And I'd encourage you to confess that and repent that. Repent of that, excuse me. So that God can continue to do the amazing and mighty works that he wants to accomplish. In Acts chapter 2, it was all about the gospel going forth. You know what it is about now too? The gospel going forth. And if we'll see our part in that and play that, uh, I can guarantee you're going to have an incredible week. Will you have no problems? No. But you'll be able to, to be used and be a part of what God wants to do through his spirit working in you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity today to be reminded of what your Holy Spirit has done for us. And we thank you, God, that your spirit is with us now, alive and active, guiding us, directing us, moving us to where we need to be. And so, God, I pray for everyone in this church and those online today, that, God, that you would help us to do what we can to do our part, to confess our sin and to make room so that you can fill us to be all that you want us to be for your glory. But God, more than that, God, we recognize that um, as Joel reminded us, or Peter reminded us through Joel, that there's a timeline of events that's been set in motion and that you're far outside of time, but there is a time in which you're calling all men and women to repent and to follow you. And God, you've already given us the call to play our part in that, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And so, God, I pray for each and every person here this week that they would sense their responsibility, to sense the privilege that we get to share your love and your truth with everyone we come in contact with. And God, I pray that you would give just some supernatural appointments this week, where there would be no denying that you've put us here to proclaim your forgiveness and love to those around us. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that as you promised your disciples, you would not leave us alone. And Father, we trust in his uh, provision for our lives. and We trust the God that you will give us exactly what we need today. Help us to be willing to follow what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name.